Hey, folks, I'm Tom. Keith Jones here. Big thank you to the Dunlap Champions Club, longtime sponsors of Front Row Knowles. Football season is here, folks. If nothing else, do yourself a favor. Call 644-1830. Schedule a tour of the Champions Club if you haven't been in it yet. Or better yet, purchase a ticket to one game and sample it. Find somebody who's got a member. I don't think you can buy just one game ticket. Find somebody who has has a Champions Club ticket and go with them. Check it out. Once you do, you'll be hooked. It is a great place to watch a ball game, get the opportunity to get up, get out of. If there's any heat, if there's any weather whatsoever, you can go inside. Multiple TVs, food and drink. It's a wonderful wonderful place to catch an fsu football game air conditioning air conditioning too that's important reserve chair back seats uh, you can do a three-game package for uh, 6.99 uh, plus a booster membership of 70 dollars or more if you include the miami game in that but just call the number 644-1830 they'll tell you what options are available and you can go from there at this point you've got no other option than to listen to the rest of this program here's front row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. Keith, how are you, sir? Doing well. Doing well. And you, Tommy? I am doing great. It's Clemson week. It is. It is. There was a time when it didn't have the same importance, and it's hard to believe that that was the case. Didn't didn't we win like 72 to something or 77 to something one time against Clemson way back in the day? I don't think we got to 70, but the first year in the ACC, well, the first year in the ACC, Florida State went up there in 92. And Charlie was still in his throw four interceptions a game phase and found Kevin Knox to win it. But in 93, they came down here. This, I think, was just when they were starting to expand Doe Campbell Stadium. And it was 54 or 59, nothing. That was a goal line stand with Derek Brooks. You want to just fill the whole hour talking about no, those games? No, no. Well, I, I would prefer. Yeah, that's what I'm asking you. But, but what I don't other think, games you want to talk about? I don't think that's where we're supposed to punt, go. Punt Ruski game? You want to relive uh, that? By the way, just uh, was it yesterday or the day before was the 30th anniversary of the Fula from Pascagoula. And our former uh, colleague, uh, my play-by-play guy, uh, Paul Kennedy, sent me a clip from that. So I'm, I'm sitting there yesterday watching the, the Fula uh, go from uh, right to left uh, in the uh, Carrier Dome. Well, hard, to, ho- hard to believe that's been 30 years ago. Hockey season has started, so the dialogues from Paul Kennedy should, should diminish should now. Diminish a He's got bit. a little bit more He's to occupy to his time. Okay, so we've put off the inevitable long enough. It's been a minute and a half, two minutes. I guess we need to talk about the game this week, FSU and Clemson. Opportunity, uh, and I think that's the way you have to look at it. And 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 it it really is an opportunity given some of the things we've heard coming out of Clemson over the last couple of weeks, i.e., a bruised shoulder for uh, Trevor Lawrence, and you know how their defense, uh, you know, hasn't been playing up to the level they think they can play to or have to. And of course, you look at the UNC game, and and, and Carolina played a very very good ball game, had a wonderful game plan. I I disagree with going for the for two I would have kicked that extra point and taken my chances in overtime but having said that uh, Carolina game does prove that there are some things you can do and maybe there are some weaknesses that Clemson has the downside is they've had two weeks now to identify those weaknesses themselves and get them corrected and we know that Dabo and his staff are are very versed at doing that so it's a catch-22 the flip side is Florida State's had two weeks as well to put new wrinkles in to iron some things out maybe most importantly get a little healthier we don't have definitive word about Juwan Williams but I would expect that he would be back at left tackle and that can only help the it, offense it points that way Minshew has been back working out although I, I don't know your opinion but I would think that's a little bit of a stretch as to whether how much he would see playing time. if he truly hasn't been back until right. yesterday I don't see how right. he's a factor this right. week but long term that is good if he's back and you can work him into the rotation I would think right obviously Blackman with an opportunity to to get his uh, knee uh, that much better and and Willie has said and I agree with that he will be your starter although it will be interesting he's playing it very close to the vest this coach Tiger it will be interesting to see how and if and how they use uh, Hornibrook during the ball game I, that that's something that uh, we'll all be watching for we'll get deep into the quarterback conversation a little bit later in the show but here on the surface if you think bag of tricks and what's needed to win when you're 26 28 point underdogs whatever it is when there's a two in front of the line, I can just stop there, right? 
how many Florida State players are going to throw a pass this week? Well, that, that because we already know Blackman and Hornybrook are on there. Right, and I'm what thinking, about DJ and Acres or who else? How I, I many think, you got? I think, I think the, uh, the the line would be at four. It's and, at least, and I might go over. It's at least at three and a half. I would say. For <laughs> and me. I might go over. You're right. It it is interesting to think that, and I think this is the toughest part for Florida State folks to to maybe swallow. And it all rolls into the launch of the ACC network and the face, the fact that you get it, uh, or if you have it now, if you don't have Comcast. And every time you turn it on, people are talking about Clemson. Well, that's what happens when you're on top. And Florida State was the king for a long, long time, including in the ACC for well, at least two-thirds, maybe three-quarters of FSU's time in the ACC. They've been the, the top dog. So adjusting to the fact that FSU is not has been an uncomfortable spot. Yet here we are. And the great irony of this, before we talk about and continue the conversation of it would take a perfect game, perfect storm, it would just make the ACC hate Florida State even more if they went and ruined the ACC's lone chance at getting somebody into the college football playoff this year. If you are a conference person, if you want to support the conference, then you have to admit through the five or six weeks that we're at right now that the worst thing that could happen to the ACC would be for Clemson to lose to Florida State. In fact, I would venture the worst thing that could happen is for Clemson to lose at all because there are some that believe even if they were to win the ACC championship game, if they stumble once during the year, given the strength of the SEC, and now you've got some some Big Ten teams that are – appear to not be um, just one-night wonders. They they appear to have some depth and some uh, attraction that, that, you know, Clemson with one loss, even as the ACC champion, might not get in given the strength of others. So, yeah, if you're a conference person, you're not pulling for Florida State. But guess what? <laughs> we ain't about the conference? Not today. Not this week. It was noticeable to me last week. So I don't uh, – you and I are at the Florida State games. We're priv- privileged to work them. Those are nine, ten-hour days, and if we're traveling back, we're not seeing a lot of football. It's late in the night, so I don't get a chance to really sit and watch a lot of college football. I mean, I put the Thursday night games on. I'll put a Friday night game on and kind of have it on, but I'm not really watching it. But last week, I watched a lot of football, and this is not new ground, but it was very apparent to me that the ACC officiating, they are writing speeding tickets for going five miles over the limit, and everybody else is letting you go 85 on I-75 and it's just it's it is not equitable I mean it's noticeable when you watch the difference it really is I mean I watched the the Florida Auburn game I've known this but it was jarring to me watching the Florida Auburn Florida Auburn game I mean I I was thinking there should have been another dozen penalties you know, well, just things that I the, was just things I was seeing. One of them being the the no targeting call early on that they didn't even review, even though they had four minutes to review it. Yeah, I mean, I, this is one of the it's reasons perplexing. why. I, this is why I am one hundred percent prefer the concept, and I know it would be difficult to get there. But difficult's not a reason not to do it. We need a national pool of officials that actually enforce things the same way. Because the ACC, it's just when in doubt, throw the flag, and everybody else is when in doubt, swallow the whistle. I mean, that is just what appears to happen when you watch the games. And by no means are we suggesting that there's any type of conspiracy or whatever. It's oh, I'm just not even the talking about is. anti-FSU. It's just I'm just the talking way it is. in general. No, I'm, no, I'm talking the, the SEC officials, my opinion, they don't sit around and say, now look, guys, remember, when in doubt, swallow the whistle. There's just a culture that that's what they do. They don't talk about it. There's it's not by design. There's not an edict. That they comes embrace out. that it's football and exactly. say exactly. Yeah. They 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 just let them play, and you know it's kind of like the helicopter parent versus the parent that lets their child you know get to the end of the of the line and explore their boundaries. It's just two different philosophies. The other thing that was noticeable, and I don't want to pick on Nick's too much. But he was the moment was too big for him, clearly, as a true freshman. And so it becomes very apparent as you watch other games just how much difference one person can make. You can think about if it's the quarterback. You can think about Jameis when he was here. For all the flaws of the 2014 team for FSU, and the flaws were not talent. The flaws were effort and motivation and interest and uh, your own agenda and a million other Selfishness. things. Selfishness. Jameis still overcame it. And so when you watch other teams play – 
And and then I watched that, and and Florida wasn't great at quarterback, but they were a lot better than than Auburn there. And and you just look around, and so that brings me back to Clemson and Trevor Lawrence, which he's struggling right now. You know, but well, it's, you but know it's what a scary thought, proposition if he finds himself. You know what I thought? You know, uh, again, the story has come out. If you haven't heard it, that Lawrence hurt his shoulder in the A and M game, which I think was the second game of the year. Now, obviously, he's coming off of back to back games, and he's coming off of a bye, but he's coming off of back to back games that he has not thrown an interception. But what it reminded me of, my first thought was, you and I have had this conversation, Cam Akers last year with that bum ankle. You know, it stayed with him all year. He didn't really start feeling well until, you know, week nine or week ten. You know, has this shoulder really been bothering Lawrence? Will it continue to bother him because he's played through it? Is is that a little bit of a crease, a little bit of a crack, you know, that Florida State can take advantage of because he's not not as sharp as he might be if he was fully healthy? I don't know. Only he knows that or the training staff, coaching staff at Clemson. But it continues to open up a little glimmer of life. Am, am I trying to rationalize too much here, Tommy, or what? Florida State is 20-something point underdogs, closer to 30. So, yes, we're trying to rationalize. The only thing I disagree with you there, I, I get um, the name of it just left me. What's that publication that has the blue ink and the football, the orange football up at the top? Oh, or some of our listeners will know what it is. But it looks at the metrics, and, uh, and uh, I'm going to focus on that one because right now Florida State is a 13-and-a-half point underdog according to that publication, according to the metrics part. Well, I can write a publication and say it's a two-point spread. I think we all know there's challenges ahead, though, regardless of what that number is. <laughs> I'm going with 13, Tommy. Leave me alone. I hear you. Well, if we play, if this was a 13 point game, most oh, FSU folks would be. Would you take it? If you, would you take a honestly, 30? Would you take a 38 24 right now? Probably. And I and I think many FSU fans would. Probably. Um, I mean, to me, regardless of outcome, what you can't see is regression in terms of quitting. And there were a couple of guys involved in fights or throwing punches. You can't see that. We talk uh, now. The young people you talk can, about you can optics. play. What, you can play well, and Clemson's got great talent, and they still managed to put a big number up there. But you just can't regress and lose the team aspect that seems to have been found in the last few weeks. The, the, the young folk call it optics. Is that the right word these these days? Optics. How does it appear? And we talk about playing for the name on the front of the jersey. And this is not a game necessarily that you're only playing for the name on the front of the jersey. You're also playing for how does it look because the whole nation is going to be watching you, and particularly Seminole Nation is going to be watching. And and do you look like you're you're making progress? Do you look like you belong there, even though you're out talented or you're outplayed? Do you look like you belong there? Let's let's don't have another fifty nine to ten like we did last year and all the other bad optic optics that were associated with it. Is that fair? It's fair. We're going to talk with our Osceola insider. Patrick Burnham will join us coming up next segment, and we'll get more into the X's and O's of this one as Florida State goes to Death Valley for a 3.30 kick this Saturday from Clemson, South Carolina. But uh, I will remind you, if you're not going to the game, a, a place you might want to frequent instead is uh, – Madison Social. I'm sure they'll have a great environment. By the way, and the uh, doors will probably be up because the weather will be nice. Our, our friends at for that's a good point. Our friends at uh, for the table. Of course, their group includes much more than Madison Social. Uh, also, Soto Baking Company, right in in, uh, in Midtown there, and also Centrally. So they are they are partnering up on October 16th at uh, six or seven. Uh, Soto is hosting a mozzarella making class. Fifteen bucks, you get admission to the class and a glass of house wine. And you actually make the mozzarella? Yes, you do. Do you they have to? Do you have to learn how to spell it before you're admitted no, to the no. class? No, no. You want to do our show live there? I haven't looked at what day of the week that is. Live to tape while we make mozzarella. That would be entertaining. I got nothing. You got nothing. We'll get our Osceola insider on the line when we come back. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back 
Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. No, we're not going to talk Virginia Tech here, but we did get a Metallica <laughs> request uh, from our Osceola Insider this week, Patrick Burnham. Pat, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, man. How about you guys? I'm doing well. Pat joins us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. All right, we talked a little bit off air, and obviously you're probably every conversation you've had for the last 10 days has been related to FSU Clemson, at least most of them, if you're like me. Here's the thing that, you know, when you look at Clemson or the recipe for upsets, I feel like we tend to think about how can you shorten the game, limit possessions, limit plays, extend time of possession, all those type things. But they're counter to what the Bryles Taggart offense is. And so if you try to make that adjustment, you're going away from what your strength is. So how do you marry those two propositions as we go into this game? Or is that not necessarily where you, you, you see the focus or think the focus should be going into this? Well, I think obviously you've got to figure out, and we've talked about this before, you know, that at some point there has to be some comp- complementary offense. And the old adage goes, and I know it doesn't apply much, as much today as it used to, but the most valuable commodity on the football field is possessing the football. Uh, and time of possession may be a little bit overrated compared to what it has been in years past and in decades or eras past, but certainly, uh, you know, if you possess the football, it keeps the, you know, the other team generally can't score. So uh, I think there's something to that. And uh, to further that point, I was doing a little bit of research on the North Carolina game, and one of the things North Carolina did was they held, they held Clemson to eight less plays than they had averaged the rest of the year. So Essentially, they took at least one possession, if not two, away from Clemson, and I think that was one of the reasons they were able to hang close to Clemson. And, and I think that's a pretty interesting point, Pat, because those eight plays represented 13 or 15 percent of the total plays that Clemson runs. So if they're averaging yep. 35 points a ball game, and you take 12 or 15 percent away, that puts their score down, you know, somewhere around 24 or 25, and that that makes a measurable difference. The thing I worry about is Clemson being so explosive. You know, they score on the second or the third play of the drive, and then Florida State goes three and out on three consecutive series. And you look up, and it's 21 to nothing, and there's still eight minutes left in the first quarter. That's my biggest fear. Uh, You give them 20 or 22 possessions, we're going to have another Georgia Tech Cumberland on our hands, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I think obviously, and it's the key to most games, but particularly in this game, I think FSU's got to get off to a quick start, uh, both offensively and defensively, and they've got to figure out a way to make enough plays, big plays of their own, which the offense has shown itself that, that it can do, and it will have to come up with four or five big chunk plays and scoring plays in order to you know, be able to sustain an entire 60 minutes against Clemson as good as they are. Let's start with the offensive side of the equation, Patrick. How does Florida State, given where it's at on the offensive line and given Clemson's talent and strength on the defensive line, how does FSU create yardage with the run? I mean, do you throw on first down? I mean, basically do the opposite of what the down would dictate you do? Do you find a way to to get Cam Akers outside, even though that's not really what the the running game is that goes with this offense? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously first down is going to be key. They've got, you know, if you go back to North Carolina State game where FSU really struggled was when they were in obvious pass situations. And NC State got pressure to them. I think five of their eight sacks were on third down uh, in obvious passing situations. It didn't matter whether FSU was five-man protecting or seven-man protecting. Uh, so you've got to establish, you have to establish something with the run game. And maybe that doesn't, maybe it's not handoff. Maybe it's getting, uh, cam makers out and, and swing passes out into the flat and you know basically using those as sweeps. Uh, you know more, maybe more wide receiver jet sweeps, uh, those kind of things. Um, you know I think that's going to help, but they're going to have to figure out a way to make make some hay on first down to keep them out of obvious pass situations. And then of course you know you can max protect if. Clemson is playing man-to-man, uh, but it's less effective to max protect if Clemson's in zone. So, uh, you know, they've got to figure out some way to keep Clemson off balance. And, you know, and Kendall said it the other day, you know, some of this is about guys winning one-on-one matchups, and Florida State's going to have to up front on the offensive line is going to have to win one on, more one-on-one matchups this week than it has previous five weeks. 
do you expect Juwan Williams to be back in there at tackle? And if so, how much of a difference does that make? Well, obviously, you get a starter back. Uh, it certainly helps. I think that there's no doubt that uh, he makes them a better offensive line. He certainly uh, gives you a guy with long arms to help against in pass protection. And what he also does, if he's back and he's healthy, it also allows you to maybe utilize some other guys in different places when you're starting to rotate people in and out. I think we saw um, Brady Scott was a little substituted a little bit more against NC State than he has been the entire season, if my memory serves me correct. So it allows you to move some pieces and parts around having him back. So obviously I think it helps, and he's one of your front-line guys. I think two things other the other things, Patrick, and like like your opinion, you, you got to get McKitty a little more involved. He's a big target over the middle, uh, can exploit the middle part of the field, and I would like for Florida State to go two back more than they have, so they at least can threaten either way on any given play, and, and get you know Acres, LeBorn, whoever you know in space as well. Your thoughts. Well, I think you're dead on on McKinney. Uh, I think that we've seen all year, uh, whether it's the run game or the pass game, uh, good things happen uh, when Trey McKinney is the lead blocker. Uh, they have made some hay with him uh, leading on the counters and powers uh, as you know, with him as lined up as an H-back. And then, of course, you know, I think it would be the perfect time for him to have a breakout game uh, catching the ball. Uh, I think everybody's uh, been waiting on that, so I certainly agree with you there. Uh, one of the things that we did see in preseason, which we have not seen as much of, is what you just mentioned, having um, Akers and LeBorn in the backfield at the same time. We saw some of that uh, where you had both of them in the backfield along with McKitty at H-back, and we saw that in the preseason, have not seen a lot of it in the se- in, uh, so far this season, so you know, maybe they've been saving it for uh, Clemson or are waiting to break it out later in the year. But I certainly agree with both those points. And, you know, they have, they've got some talented uh, skill people at Florida State. And having two uh, guys in the backfield that can take the ball to the house would certainly allow uh, make them have to focus more on the backfield than the wide receivers. And we know that they have talented wide receivers. So I agree with both those points. How much does the Bryle system – lean on two back sets at all versus or, or factoring in and we haven't talked about this florida state is thin at the running back position this year you know might that be a reason we haven't seen two backs because frankly that's what they have on the roster yeah you know i think to some extent uh you know obviously they could do some things uh you know if they had injuries became a part of it i believe it's uh harrison that you know goes and works with the running backs from time to time and uh, so they have some things they could – I think he's actually lined up in the backfield a time or two. Uh, so you have some things you could do there. I think the other thing, uh, to go back to, you know, the run game, the one thing that we have not seen Florida State do is make a concerted effort to get the quarterbacks involved in the run game. Well, if you even make them stay honest on the zone read and all those things, you know, that that occupies somebody that you have to block otherwise. Uh, but right now, if they see zone read, they can free release and just go get the chase the running back down because I think there's only been two dedicated quarterback runs. I mean, where it was supposed to be a quarterback run all year from Florida State. So I think that could help you out in the run game as well. You don't have to run them. Uh, you got two, you're going to play two quarterbacks anyway. So you, you got two capable guys. So, you know, I'd like to see them run the quarterback, uh, you know, three or four times a half just to keep Clemson honest. And I think that would help the offense as, as a whole. Pat, we go over on the defensive side. Florida State's up against what's considered, I guess, next year the first-round draft pick, if not the number one overall pick. But stories out of uh, Carolina this week and last that uh, Lawrence has been playing with a bad shoulder, and we saw him make some uncharacteristic mistakes early in the year. Now he's gone back-to-back games, and obviously the bye week now without throwing an interception. What what do you make of uh, the injury? What do you make of how that affects them, if at all? And and does that change what Clemson wants to do against Florida State offensively? Well, you know they've run in more this year than they did last year. So they, what I would think, based on the injury, the shoulder, is that you probably don't run him as much. He's already ran the ball twenty two times in five games, and only ran it uh, sixty times all of last year in fifteen. So obviously they've decided to run him a little bit more to keep defenses honest. It's probably you know, I don't know whether he got hurt running the ball or not, but obviously one of the things you would like to do is, you know, 
keep him if you're Clemson is make sure he does not get injured. And one of the ways to do that is uh, not to run him as much, which uh, so they probably won't do that. And then, you know, he's off a little bit. He's uh, 61% passer this year where he was 65.2 last year. Um, as you said, he struggled with interceptions early. He's had five already this year where he had four and 15 games last year. So a little bit of, I guess, a sophomore slump. Uh, but, you know, I would think that, you know, two weeks to get healthy, and like you said, didn't throw an interception against North Carolina. Uh, at some point, you got to – I'm not sure that he's not on track, but at, at some point they'll get those that offensive passing game a little bit more effective than what it has been. You just got to hope that it's next week and not this week in the Florida State. How does FSU play this this – this team defensively? I mean, what do you expect to see from FSU? I think you'll mix it up a little bit. I think they've got to try to uh, get some pressure onto, on the Lawrence. And, you know, obviously if he's got a hurt shoulder, you'd like to beat on him a little bit to see exactly how tender that shoulder is. And they're going to have to mix up coverages. And they can't always be in zone. They can't always be in man-to-man. And obviously some of that's going to be dictated on what you're doing up front. Uh, but, again, you don't want to – you don't want to do too much. It seems like since FSU has simplified things on defense, they have certainly played better. Uh, you know, Harlan said today that they've got to control Clemson's running game, and that's their first priority. So, uh, you know, and you got a tough pass there with, at the end. He's one of the rest, best running backs in the country. But there's no doubt that they're going to have to play their most solid game of the season. But they're going to have to take some chances and try to get after Lawrence, I think, and try to create some turnovers. Pat, if I'm if I'm going to give up some big plays, I think I would prefer to give up some some long pass plays to Clemson, as opposed to gash runs in in the running game, because um, because I, I just think you're in a better position and got a better chance with the ball in the air than than Etienne or whoever else running the ball. Because I mean, at least with the ball in the air, you got a chance to get to it. When they got it under their shoulder, it's very hard to get away from them. Yeah, and you know how the play can be, Keith, if someone's able to run the ball and you play after play after play where, you know, if you can at least win the line of scrimmage more than half the time, you don't even have to be dominant. I mean, just don't let, you know, I think North Carolina held close to 125 yards worth of rushing. Well, we take that in a heartbeat. Yes, yeah. So, you know, if you can do that and put the game in Trevor Lawrence's hands, who you I can't believe I'm going to say Trevor Lawrence is a weak spot on the Clemson offense, but statistically he is, you know, I mean, he's not passing the ball quite as effectively as he was last year. And, you know, there's probably various reasons for that, but yes, I think that, you know, you, you control the line of scrimmage, you've got a shot, uh, you know, they're going to make some plays. There's no doubt they're very talented. And, but the same token, FSU is going to make some plays because of the kids they have at skill positions. But yes, I think you, you've got to try to take the run away and, make them earn every inch on the ground that they get and know that obviously you're going to give up some plays between the 20s in the passing game, and hopefully as the field tightens up, so does the defense. Is it is it just crazy thinking that maybe we could get an FSU fan or two somewhere around the hill and maybe trip one or two of them on the way down past the rock? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've always waited for somebody to tear their ACL coming down that hill. Usually it's, I'm, more, I'm more worried about the coaches. Because I'm more their age. Well, I, I actually saw it happen. Uh, you know, when Florida State was up there, I believe in '99, was that Bowden's 300th win? Yeah. They had a reunion, and they had some of the older players. It was not a current player, but they had some older players there for that reunion. And one of them came down and literally slipped and tore his ACL. I mean that 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 has happened, but it was a former player, not a current player. Uh, so maybe just maybe, if anybody's listening, if anybody's listening, yeah. That's, that's that's a fun tradition they have, but it could, it could be pretty dangerous too. And if you're a former player, you don't want to die on that hill. No, no, <laughs> no. Hey, the the point the point spread would suggest that this game is not going to come down to a kick, Patrick. But when it does, is it going to be Grothaus trotting out there for FSU to boot the game winner? You would have to think that there's going to be a good chance of that based on Coach Taggart's frustration uh, with the with the. Aguayo the last several weeks. Uh, obviously, they I think they replaced him. Uh, I think he kicked the last uh, the next last extra point, I believe, uh, in the game against NC State. But yeah, I mean, I, I think it would be great if it came down to a field goal, win, lose, or draw. 
Uh, I, I, I remember a 55-yarder that Florida State had way back in the day. Yep. But, yeah, I think it would probably be Grothouse. But, he, has, you know what, that's the one – I don't think that's – I think that's one question we have not asked Will yet, so we'll have to ask him on Thursday what what his plan is there. Of course, I think he's pretty tight-lipped about it, uh, although he did let the quarterback thing slip on Monday. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe they're just going to go for two every time and go for it on fourth down. Just take the kickers right out of the equation. Try to get some oh, points. Oh, Lord. Out. I don't know. They've got to get that kid from top of it somehow. Patrick, uh, appreciate the insight as always. Enjoy the football game. Hopefully uh, – well, I don't, I don't, and I don't – I won't say hopefully on this. They're, they're going to compete and, and not – I don't think we're going to see what we saw last year when, when the team packed it in early against Clemson. They, they oh, will fight. Oh, no, I, I think that they're gonna, Florida State's going to get uh, – Give their best effort of the year, and I don't expect. Uh, as I said, yes, told somebody yesterday. I don't think. That, I think the twenty-six point spread is a little bit too big in my mind. I was shocked when I saw that. I think FSU will play them a lot closer than that for sure. Sounds good. We will uh, talk to you next week. And uh, for the guy who uh, got welcomed and ushered in with Metallica. Uh, he wants to exit. He's diversified. He's diversified. Uh, he requested Dirks Bentley on the way out. So we'll take a break. Come back with more. Half your life making trouble. Half your life making it right. One day I'm the exception. Most days I'm just like most. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. We are back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. It is FSU Clemson week, and we will continue the conversation as we return to the phone lines, the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. We say hello to former Seminole quarterback, former NFL quarterback, current broadcaster, EJ Manuels on the line. How are you, EJ? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Good. Let's talk about the broadcasting first. How has the transition gone for you? Man, it's been a seamless transition. Um, I was under contract with Kansas City uh, up until I think June is when I decided to take the broadcasting opportunity I had earned from ACC Network and ESPN. So in order to do so, I had to, quote-unquote, retire from football. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's been one of the better decisions I've made in my professional career, not so much as far as, like, I, I was done playing football. It was more so just overall happiness in life. You know, um, I was dealing with some knee injuries that, you know, a lot of people probably didn't know about while I was playing. And, uh, you know, I looked at it like, hey – this is something I wanted to do at the end of the day. So when I had the opportunity, and it was a perfect opportunity considering I'm an ACC guy, um, it, it, it just made the decision a little easier. It probably took me about a month to really decide to, to make the transition because things were looking pretty good in KC to be the backup for my home. But um, nonetheless, I'm extremely excited with it, and uh, each week I feel like I've gotten better, and it's been a lot of fun. Well, and, and we've watched, DJ, and you have, and, and two things. Number one, it's a lot less physical, uh, obviously, right. <laughs> but it's a, lot, it's a lot more mental than people want to, uh, uh, to acknowledge. You, you spend a lot more time studying and doing things than just showing up uh, two minutes before the little red light comes on. Oh, for sure. And I'm actually, you know, before you all caught me, I was watching tape, you know, ready, getting ready for the weekend of games and, to me, that's the fun part. You know, I still get an opportunity to be in the game, and I know that with all I've gone through in my pro and college career, whether it's good and bad, I'm able to relate to what these young men are going through. Um, you know, with some of the quarterback changes in the ACC, for example, at Miami, you know, I kind of saw that coming a mile away when you bench a guy in the first quarter, and then you say he's going to be a starter uh, right after the game, and he ends up not being your starter a few days later. It's just all those types of things. I've, I've seen before and I've experienced. So for me, as a TV person now, I feel like I, I offer, you know, some expertise to fans that, you know, some people who actually didn't play really didn't get, don't have a chance to, to offer to them. Well, that's a perfect segue as we talk about Clemson FSU because, as you're aware, Willie Taggart has said that he's going to play two quarterbacks this week. Blackman's the starter. Hornerbrook will play at some point. And so I'll ask you, as a guy who's fought for – to be a starter throughout your entire career, not just at the pro level. Uh, how does that sit with you or what's the dynamic that, uh, well, you know, how can that work or why might it not work? Well, as far as 
him saying both quarterbacks will play, I think you say that because uh, Hornibrook played well the past two weeks, you know, so obviously James had the injury, um, you know, and you kind of have to say, you know, Hornibrook still is going to be a part of the game plan. You know, if you come in and saying James is going to be our starter, you put a ton of pressure on James simply because, you know, the fans now are saying, all right, James, if you come out here and you don't play well early in the game, we're going to be, you know, calling for Hornibrook. And so as a coach, sometimes when you're speaking to the media, I think you have to say the right things and you have to give your players confidence. Because at the end of the day, your players are still hearing what you're saying as well. So, you know, again, I don't. I think it's one of those sensitive things. You know, as a quarterback, you know, it, it, it's a lot about your ego. You know, you're not only just a player on the team, you're also the leader of the team. I think you're somewhat the CEO and the, the head coach might be like the one guy that's over top of you. And I think, you know, the team has to look at one guy. And so you don't want to go into a game saying, you know, it's going to be a quarterback competition and all this kind of stuff. Sometimes it's just easier to say both quarterbacks will play. And uh, however the game goes, you know, if one guy has a hotter hand, then you kind of stick with him. EJ, I'm a little older than all of us, so I go back to the old school stuff. And in the, in the book, whoever wrote the book, once said that if you have two starting quarterbacks, you have no starting quarterback. In other words, there needs to be a pecking order. And uh, you, you've been the starter, knowing that you had the backup behind you. How much thought process do you think Blackman has to your point about the quote-unquote short leash, and how do you balance that? How does a quarterback not pay attention to that, still be aggressive, but understand that, you know, I can't make the mistakes I made last time or I might be sitting over on the sideline? You're exactly right. And that's something that even when I was watching the game, uh, two weeks ago, uh, when, when Hornybrook was out there playing well versus NC State, you know, I'm sure James was happy for his teammate and happy that the team was winning, but at the back of his, guaranteeing the back of his mind, you know, you start getting a little worried because you start seeing someone have success in your position. So, again, it's not so much, you know, from the team or the coaches. I think sometimes it's from the outside forces like the fans. You know, when fans see a guy come in and have success, especially when the team hasn't, you know, they've lost some, co- some close games and things like that some games that they probably should have won by a lot, they, they haven't yet. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes fans are looking for instant gratification. And like you said, that pressure kind of adds on to you because you know that, hey, if I go out here, I get my job back, I get a chance to play. If I don't play well early, then, you know, you're going to start hearing some boo birds and people just kind of, you know, especially people that don't know football. You know, sometimes people just see a quarterback position and they, they just think it's interchangeable. It's not. I think it has a lot to do with timing. Um, it has a lot to do with communication. Like the linemen and the receivers are used to hearing a certain guy's voice. And so when you have a different quarterback come in, you know, it takes a little bit of time for, you know, for guys to, to get used to that. And so um, saying that with Alex Hornibrook, he came in and obviously things still went well. So, you know, if I'm James, you, you got to be a little worried. You, you got to go out there and, and you got to kind of solidify yourself as the starter, not just to your coaches and your teammates, but also to the fans and the people who are supporting you. Out of curiosity, and I know you're a, you're a neutral broadcaster at this point, if you will, but do you know, uh, you probably don't know Alex, but have you had any dialogue with James uh, in his time at FSU? Oh, I know both of them. So I, I came down to Tallahassee in the summertime, made sure I had a chance to see everyone, made sure I, I spoke to Coach Tagger. He actually let me speak to the team uh, later that evening. But I, I've known James for, I guess, three years now. Um, I met Alex that day when I came down to Tallahassee to watch their first training camp practice and both guys are extremely intelligent. You know, they look in your eye when, when you're talking to them. Um, you know, very, very smart young men that I'm proud as, a, as an alum to have as our quarterbacks. And, you know, if, if this program is going to be trusted to anyone, you know, those two guys, I, I know they have FSU's uh, best, you know, things at hand. And so um, I, I like both of them. Well, EJ, I'm going to take 30 seconds of your life. You'll never get back. And I'm going to give you a little ammo next time uh, Saturday rolls around and you're doing the game. I was a freshman at Florida State in 1977. And one of the recruits that I was the uh, usher around for was a quarterback from Boca Raton High School down in uh, the Miami area. And uh, he ended up not signing with Florida State. He signed with Miami. And he sits to your far right when you guys are on set. Uh, That's how far Mark and I go back. And and I guess I'm the reason he's not a Seminole. I couldn't reel him in. I don't know what happened. (laughs) I don't know. I'm definitely going to ask him that, though, and see what he says. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there may be some good stories that come out of that. So you've been warned. We'll see. We're curious. So let let me ask you this. When coaches will always say, I mean, if we asked Brett Venables this week, 
you know, you got to prepare for two quarterbacks. What does that change? He'd say, well, it's the same offense. Both guys do the same thing. But I'm asking you, having seen these guys play, what do you see that Florida State can do with Blackman uh, and maybe not with Hornibrook? But, and what can they do with Hornibrook and maybe not with Blackman? Yeah, I think with Blackman, you know, from what I've seen, um, you know, he does add somewhat of a, a little more uh, running ability. Um, you know, I think he might be a little faster than, than, than Alex Hornibrook. But besides, besides that, I, I do think they're very similar. I think they both can throw the ball extremely accurate. James has an extremely strong arm. So the vertical pass game, you know, you've seen him be able to, to hit some of these guys on post routes, Ontario and, and Gary Terry, some of these guys on deep routes. But then you watch the tape and you see Alex do the same exact thing. So I think they're a lot uh, more similar than they are different. You know, if you're, um, if you're the offensive coordinator, Coach Browse, I think you have to be excited because you feel like you have both quarterbacks can go out there and function. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I think they're they're more similar than they are different. And, uh, you know, I think as far as the game plan goes, it seems like nothing really changes. They, they're still going with the same type of plays, same tempo, and uh, it seems like both quarterbacks are having success with it. Again, I don't think James has played bad to where he should lose his job. That's why I think he, as someone who's coming off an injury, he does still deserve an opportunity to be the starter. Um, but nonetheless, Alex has done a great job of, you know, pleading his his side as, why, as far as why he should be the starter, too. And I think at the end of the day, if you're a head coach, you, you should be excited about that. You know, you have two great options, and whichever guy's out there, you should feel confident, confident about. We're speaking with E.J. Manuel from the ACC Network and, of course, former Florida State star, NFL player uh, for, gosh, what did it end up being, E.J., seven years? Uh, six. six. Six years. And that, that a nice NFL career. All right, now you're going to be the consultant to uh, Florida State, and you're going to sit down with uh, Coach uh, Harlan Barnett. How do you tack, attack this Clemson defense? Well, I think the biggest thing is you, you try to keep time of possession. You know, to me, uh, you, you want to limit their opportunities when they get the ball. So if you can get some three and outs, if you can force some turnovers, I think that's where you give your offense more opportunities with the football. We all know Clemson has, you know, some of the best players, not just in the ACC, but in, in, in the in the country. You know, some of those receivers are running backs and obviously their quarterbacks. So, you know, I think if you can try to get Trevor Lawrence off his spot and also try to control him from taking off in the pocket, the hard part about Trevor is when you do make a move and run around, he hurts you. He'll, he'll get, you know, an eight to ten yard gain and then he'll slide and he'll move forward and, you know, usually he'll get a first down. So, you know, it's one of those things where you want to rush them, but you also want to contain them at the same time. And uh, I think if they can, you know, continue to fly around, for what I've seen in the past two weeks where I think FSU has really turned the corner is the defense. The guys are giving effort. The D-line's doing an amazing job. Marvin Wilson, I think, is really holding the point. If he can't get to the quarterback, he's still clogging up gaps, so he makes it hard for the run game. But I think if those DBs can get their hands on some footballs, try to tip some balls in the air, come down with a couple of interceptions. For example, when you look at, uh, Pitt versus Duke last week. Um, Quentin Harris was coming off of a, re- a very good game versus Virginia Tech, but the Pitt defense did a great job of getting him off his spot, tipping some balls, which led to some interceptions, which led to some short fields for their offense, and then you know subsequently led to a win. I think if Florida State's defense could do something similar to Clemson, um, you know the game's going to be much, much, much more competitive than you know some Clemson fans might think. I actually think Florida State's going to surprise them in this one. Hey, EJ, as, as you know, being a Florida State guy, fans, you know, everybody looks back fondly, and we, we remember the 2013 Clemson game, the Jameis went up there, part of a national title run. We don't talk as much about the 2012 game, though, here, which was a tremendous game at Doak, and I, I think it was 49-35, maybe 49-31, but that was, that was your night. You threw for 300 yards, you rushed for over 100. Where does that rank for you personally in terms of games you played in during your Florida State career? Man, you know what, that might be number one um, as far as an opportunity to show the ACC, show the country that we as a team at that time were the real deal. Um, coming into it, we knew they had Sammy Watkins, DeAndre, I'm sorry, yeah, DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Taj Boyd, someone who I've known for a very long time, Andre Ellington. They had some great, great players on that offense and defense, and we knew that if we wanted to make it to the ACC championship game, we were going to have to go through Clemson. And, uh, you know, I, th- I felt like it was an ABC game, national opportunity. It was at home. And I think we might have started off a little slow, but I wouldn't say in the second and third quarter we started to pick things up. And I think that's where Florida State, in my opinion, really, really started to feel like we were back. 
You know, I mean, that that win right there is where I think we saw ourselves as elite in that conference. And uh, as you know, it carried over into the next year when Jameis took over and they won the national championship. But in my opinion, I feel like that was somewhat the statement game, not just for myself, but for Florida State football altogether. Well, it was part of the beginning of, of the 29 consecutive wins, so you can uh, you can hang your hat on being part of that in the early part. Yes, sir, exactly. And I do, trust me, when I get a chance to talk to Eric McLean on my show, he's a little younger than I am, but he was there. He saw that win. So, um, you know, I always you know try to bring that up to him and mess around with him. EJ, congratulations on on all the success and and continued success to you in your broadcasting career. I know you're in the uh, the infant stages of that. Please don't make it look too easy. At least at least continue to admit that there is a little bit of work and effort that goes into it for guys like us. Okay. <laughs> yeah, of course. I tell you what. Like I said, I, I wake up in the morning and watch about three and a half hours of film, so it's definitely some work, but. It's fun. I mean, that's what I'd be doing if I was playing anyway, so it's all good. But thank you. I really appreciate that. All right. Thanks for uh, joining us, and, and thanks for what you've done for Florida State. Good luck to you, Thanks, EJ. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. EJ Manuel, one of my favorite EJ memories. Uh, I guess it was the 2012 season, and uh, <clears throat> that was the year that his, his mom was, was sick. But it was the Virginia Tech game, uh, which was a Thursday night game, if memory serves, and Rashad Green scored that one late where it looked like just a little square, a little dig route, basically, and he just took off and outraced everybody. But uh, we we had EJ on the postgame show that night. It was pretty emotional. I mean, his home state was Virginia. He was dealing with a lot, and uh, that was a big-time win at the time for FSU. He's been a wonderful ambassador for Florida State. Six years in the league, you know, a first-round pick, and there would be those that say, you know, why didn't he play 20 years? Like what? But that's not the way that league works, and, and being at the right place at the right time. But regardless of what has happened in EJ's life, he has represented himself, and he's represented this institution well, and, and uh, all Florida State fans are proud to call him a knoll, no question. He made a pretty good business decision there, too, to say, do I want to hang on in the NFL for what, maybe it's another year, maybe it's another three or do I want to jump now when the ACC Network's launching because I have this opportunity? And who knows, but he might be there the rest of his broadcasting career if it goes well. I mean, he could expand from there, or he may just hunker down, and that's where he's... I forgot to tell him he needs to get a concession on the socks. I forgot to mention Oh, we didn't socks. ask him about the socks. His sock game is strong yeah, on ACC Network. Uh, if you haven't watched, pay attention. He, 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 he comes to play. Or... If you're still with one carrier, call them, complain, switch, and get the ACC I want network. EJ socks. I want EJ socks. We are uh, back to di- discuss uh, wardrobe and more. That's what you listen to us for in Front Row Knowles after this. I'm picking up whatever is mine. I'm running down the drink. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. I just discovered, I mean, this is, I, I feel like this is classified information. But the Seminole Headlines guys... Are they leaving their notes? They left the listener questions here, so I could go into what they didn't address. I mean, because it's pretty obvious in Jeff's complex system here which ones they addressed. There's the, a check. The big check mark, and which <laughs> ones were left. On. So, I mean, I could, I'll, I'll leave them here for those guys, though. Hopefully they're doing a three-hour show no, next week, though. That would mean that Florida State got a win. So I would agree. What are we going to do if Florida State gets a win? Uh, we're going to celebrate. Well, read this first, and then we'll pontificate on what we might do. Do you have a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished? Go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or online at ctf.nu. Did you did you get that little honeydew done Saturday when before you watched the football games? Oh, we were at the beach this weekend, so I didn't oh, get any honey. Cheated. I didn't get any honeydews well, done. Guess where I was? At the beach as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, but but that's your property down there, so you probably had a honeydew list for that one. We, we I did put up a spindle. Some of us, on the I other, put up a spindle. Some of us were just renting for the weekend, and I wasn't about to touch anything. <laughs> um, although I will side note, without mentioning names, we get there and the cable was out in the entire place we were staying. Uh oh. 
but fortunately, I have cut the cord and I now have a streaming service so I could just log in because I was thinking this is not going to bode well for my college football Saturday off if we don't have any visuals in here, and I remedied that problem. So what, what are we going to do after Florida State beats Clemson? I'm going to get on an airplane with a big smile on my face is what I'm going to do. Well, there is that. <laughs> there is that. Um, yeah, and we'll probably still just do one hour after the game and one hour next week. Mm-hmm, probably. Yeah, that's probably what we'll do. Because that's we do what we, we do, do the we, minimum we're required to do. Yes, we've made a we've made a career out of that, have we not? <laughs> uh, kids out there, try to do more, not less. <laughs> Don't take it from us. Uh, what else would you like to add as we finish up this show? Well, uh, basketball had a scrimmage. And, of course, uh, basketball, basketball media operations day, uh, your favorite time of the year, always occurs during Clemson football week. Uh, Coach Ham and his staff, uh, you know, as they should be, high on this group. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting in and sneaking into a couple practices and then uh, watching the, the exhibition games as they get ready towards the end of the month. Uh, same with the ladies. Um, uh, volleyball came up just short on Sunday. Uh, against a very good pit team. Um, I mean, there's just a lot of other things going on. Soccer continues to uh, to dominate, and uh, and they're fun to watch. So there's plenty to do if you're not headed to South Carolina this weekend. I'm going to evolve my pet peeve. Uh-oh. Because you're right. It used to be that here we are trying to grow the league's football brand, and we keep scheduling ACC basketball media days two or three days before the FSU Clemson game when it was the headliner. But I want to go back to the fact that we don't know when you're going to play conference foes. And the reason for this is everybody – there's not defined bye weeks across the league. You're looking at me with a blank stare. Do you know what I'm referencing? Mm -hmm. I mean, Florida and Georgia Mm -hmm. know what day they're playing and where in the year, you know, 2084. And we'll be waiting to February of that year, to January, to figure it out if we're still here. Can you imagine what this show would sound like in 2084? No, I can't. So, what did you say? So I was going to, here's what I'm going to, I'm going to narrow it down. I realize the reason that the ACC can't get there is because what I said, different, they've tried to honor different schools requests. So different schools have different bye weeks and they've never made that all aligned. But why couldn't we do it for, for two weeks a year for your crossover opponent, your one permanent rival and your crossover opponent? So at least you could know, like the FSU Clemson game could always be the same week in whatever game. Same with FSU Miami. I mean, you, you, if you can't make it work for all 14 weeks of the regular season, you could pick two of them and at least put some anchors down and say well, this one, is when it's going to happen. One of the things that, that I've been told is also a complicating factor is because you didn't get ahead of this ahead of time, as redundant as that sounds, there are some schools that have – future contracts against non-conference foes that are tied to a date right wrong or indifferent right. and therefore trying to the permutations and combinations of all of those variables becomes an issue I, but I, I agree with you i hope I, that, I think you could take the, the permanent partners at least and begin the process of doing it. well when we're only scheduled through 2024 now on the crossovers so the acc is going to have to make a decision to just extend the crossovers keep the divisions or do away with divisions or whatever but i hope as part of that because now you do have notre dame scheduled workout which was a compli- worked out which was a complicating factor maybe now you could narrow that even if it's two games even if it's just your one permanent partner we should know when fsu and miami are going to play every just put it on the same weekend i agree all right so that's my pet peeve for that week we're out better do you feel better yep after florida state wins we will do the bare minimum again next week and we'll talk to you wednesday at six right and if we lose we'll do the same exactly he's keith (laughs) on tom so long